or if you're, you know, sometimes for me, I'm like, I'm getting to the point where I am just so overwhelmed that I'm worried I'm going to start not being the parent I want to be, you know, potentially yelling at my kids. It's okay to put on a screen, you know, because you have to think, okay, what's the trade-off? If screen time is replacing me just yelling at my kids, like screen time is probably the better choice. Um, If I'm in a situation, if I'm in the mind state where I can be calm and have a nice interaction with my kids, like maybe I shouldn't choose screen time in that moment. So just really being intentional about what is screen time replacing. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Kara Goodwin to the show. She is a licensed clinical child psychologist and parenting expert who has gained a large following over 116,000 on Instagram for her practical and research-backed advice as the parenting translator. She is also a best-selling author of the children's book, What to Do When You Feel Like Hitting. Thank you so much. I want to start just asking you about your name, the parenting translator and how you came up with that. I think that sounds amazing. Yes. So I was a child psychologist before I had kids. And then when I had children, I would be talking to my other mom friends and I became aware that all the research that I had studied in my PhD program and that I talked to parents about 
all the research on parenting and child development just wasn't really getting out to the parents who needed that information. So my goal really is to take all the research that's out there, and there's so much, and to translate it, meaning to put it into words that parents can understand and can apply to their everyday lives and can help make parenting maybe a little bit easier for all of us. I love it. It sounds like our ideas are very aligned because that was a lot of, you know, what I want to do too, because it seems like, you know, when you don't understand kids, you don't really understand their behavior, their behavior is foreign and the way they're trying to communicate is very foreign to us. And so that's definitely something that's very needed. Yes, exactly. To help, help us move our kids along in the world. So I am really excited to dive into all the recent research that you can share with us today. I did a lot of research while I was in school as well, and I haven't kept up with it as well as I would like to. So I'm really excited to have you get us up to date on some of the things going on. So we have some great questions I would love to dive into. So let's talk about, because there's just been so much effect and we've heard a lot about this. Let's start with the pandemic and talking about how this has impacted child development. And if you could kind of break it down for us a little bit, like by age, like what ages have been more affected in, you know, in what ways so that we parents can start to kind of be aware of what to look for. Definitely. So, you know, we're getting a lot of research coming out now looking at how the pandemic impacted child development. And I think it's really important to talk about the actual research because we see a lot of like very scary headlines out there. Like, you know, pandemic babies are neurodevelopmentally delayed and these very scary headlines that could make any parent panic. And, you know, the research is broadly showing that there was a lot of variation in how kids responded. So some kids actually thrived during the pandemic and did very well. And some kids really did suffer. And this depended a lot on your income status, your parents' job status, what other stressors the family was experiencing during the pandemic. So there were a lot of differences if we look at babies and toddlers, like the so-called pandemic babies, which I, I personally have a pandemic baby, so I feel <laughs> very strong about this, making sure that this generation isn't overlooked. But if you look at the research on babies and toddlers, overall, we're seeing delayed social and emotional skills, but we're not seeing any differences in overall cognitive skills. And like I said, there's a lot of variation and some kids even in terms of social emotional skills, flourished during the pandemic. But we are seeing overall some delays in social and communication and emotional skills. And that doesn't mean that these skills won't catch up because, you know, a lot of these pandemic babies are very young. It's just a thing to be aware of so that we can, you know, potentially be more intentional about making sure our children are getting the social and communication experiences that they need to grow in those areas. Um, when you look at school age kids, you know, as all of us know, there was a lot of changes in the educational system. A lot of schools went remote. So overall, we are seeing significant learning loss in school age kids. And it doesn't seem to have rebounded in the years since the pandemic. And of course, we all know there are still some disruptions that haven't totally been fixed yet. Um, so we are still seeing learning losses and hopefully these will rebound as well, but we haven't seen evidence of that yet. And again, this was greater for lower income families and families who were more likely to be remote schooling for longer. 
For adolescents, we even see differences of the pandemic. There was a really interesting study that showed that adolescents show what they call advanced brain age. And advanced brain age may sound like a good thing at first, um, like, oh, is their brain maturing more fastly or more quickly? It sounds like it. But actually, you know, you see advanced brain age in children who have experienced trauma and it's a way the brain copes with trauma. So it's actually something we should be concerned about. So the stress of the pandemic may have unnaturally sped up their brain development and we don't really know what the impact of that will be. And of course, in adolescence and across all children, we saw a pattern of worsening mental health and increased behavioral problems due to the stress of the pandemic likely. And it's very important that we really pay attention to those increased mental health and behavioral problems because we know we have some research-backed strategies that we can use to improve children's mental health, in particular, seeing mental health professionals through research-backed therapy methods. So we want to make sure that children are getting the help that they need. Yeah, that's great. And I love that, you know, that we got to touch on all the age groups. My kids now are 12, 12, and 14. So when the pandemic, when they started getting homeschooled, they were, I think, nine, nine, and 10, I think. Yeah. So, you know, kind of that late elementary, uh, my oldest was starting middle school, and my youngest were still in elementary school. And we definitely you know, saw some, and I've talked about it on the podcast, some mental health struggles with my younger son, luckily got in and got that taken care of. He's doing amazing now and he's thriving. But yeah, those are some really interesting things to look out for. Can you um, talk a little bit more about what would parents look for to in each of these age ranges to kind of know, like, are, is my child behind a little bit? Or, you know, maybe it's part of it's going into the school and talking to the school, but if it's academically, but how do we know you know, if they're struggling a little bit and need to catch up? Yeah. So for babies and toddlers, you want to look for a sign of a developmental delay and a great resource of knowing where your child is developmentally is the CDC on their website. They have milestone checklists and you can go to the CDC milestone checklist. They have like a PDF you can print off and kind of check at, you know, different ages. Is your child meeting these milestones that you would expect them to meet. And I always tell parents, you know, don't panic if your child is missing one or even two or a few of these milestones. It's just information to have. And, you know, there are typically developing children that do miss milestones just because development is different and Mm -hmm. children develop at different rates. But when you see a pattern of many milestones being missed, or if you are concerned that this was a milestone that would be expected you know, a month ago, three months ago, depending on your child's age. It's really important if you have any concerns, even if you like, you just have a feeling in your gut as a parent that they are delayed to make sure that you talk to a pediatrician or early intervention services in your area and seek an evaluation because that can really, at the very best, provide peace of mind and worse can help get your child the services they need. So I think it's very important if you have any concerns at all to seek help. We know babies and toddlers that early intervention is really our best chance at helping them to catch up to their peers. So we really want to make sure that we start intervention as soon as possible. With school-age kids, you know, I think you really want to, if you're looking at academic skills, like really rely on their teacher for, you know, how are they doing in comparison to their classmates? 
And I think this is hard after the pandemic because across the board, children have suffered, but you know, we want to make sure that they're keeping up with their classmates and that they are able to learn and continue gaining skills from their educational setting. If you're looking at mental health concerns, you know, we think a lot about anxiety um, and depression in children and adolescents. So anxiety can look very different in children than adults. So a lot of times anxiety in children could actually look like irritability. So they could seem really grumpy and have very low frustration tolerance. And that could actually be based in anxiety. You also see in anxiety with children, a greater likelihood of physical complaints. So complaining, my stomach hurts, my head hurts, you know, children tend to kind of try to find a location for this uncomfortable feeling they have. So you'll see a lot of physical complaints. Um, you know, all children have worries and fears. And I think it can be hard for parents sometimes to distinguish between, okay, is this like just normal childhood fear? Is this anxiety? And I think you want to look at, is it, is it hurting their functioning on a daily basis? Is it making it hard for them to do really important things like sleep or eat or make friends is a very important function for a child? Is it making it difficult for them to attend school. So looking at like, what is their anxiety getting in the way of? And is it these really important things? Or is it something that, you know, for example, a child's afraid of dogs and they just, you know, if they see a dog, will walk to the other side of the street. Like that's, you know, that's not a big deal. That's more of like a phobia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But if it's like, they won't go to any friend's house because they're worried that what if they didn't know that the friend had a dog and the friend ended up having a dog, you know, like getting to the point where it's really getting in the way of making friends or doing what they want to do. And with depression, you want to look for, are they showing, you know, again, there can be a lot of physical complaints associated with depression in children. So, you know, are they complaining about my stomach hurts, my head hurts, I can't sleep, are there differences in how they're eating or their appetite. A lot of children with depression will all of a sudden seem not interested in something they used to be interested in. And that can be a real red flag. Like, well, you used to love doing this. Like, why don't you like doing this anymore? And they just, you know, kind of don't really seem interested in anything that can be a red flag for depression. Very good. A couple of points you made. The pediatrician, I always, you know, like to point parents to the pediatrician too. It's always, it's a really good place to get a good benchmark of if this should be a concern or not. And to get, either get the help, like you said, that they need or get, you know, to start a plan for getting caught up. And then you're talking about school and I'm like, teachers have such a huge job right now because they probably have kids all over the board. And, you know, what used to be kind of the standard middle you know, of the road level for kids is now probably less than what it was before. So, you know, they're trying to find the new normal. And then they probably have kids, like you said, who probably didn't really fall very far behind. And then they have kids who are kind of at the new normal level. And then they've got kids who probably fell really far behind. So they have quite the job to do. To, they're probably just trying to figure this all out too in the classroom. Yes, yes. Teachers are the real superheroes through all of this. And you know, I think it's very important for us as parents to remember that they have been dealing with a lot in the past few years. And 
to just give them a little bit of grace and allow them the, the chance to kind of catch up with what's going on. And I think, you know, whatever we can do at home to help our kids catch up if they are falling behind was probably really helpful to them because they probably have kids all over the board. They're trying to realign to their best of their abilities too. So something probably really important to remember if we can help our help our teachers out and pick up the slack wherever we can. We're all stressed, but hopefully, you know, trying to get our kids caught up. Yes. Is um, really important, especially socially, emotionally. You know, I was had a little more concern about my kids socially, emotionally at their age range where they were, you know, middle school, because it's such a shift usually in this age range from families to peers. And kids were still with their families through those years, you know, and didn't really have the opportunity to, to kind of make that shift more towards the peer relationships that you normally would see in this early adolescence. And so kids now trying to maneuver and manipulate, you know, how do I kind of individuate now in this age range that because they when they normally would have started to do that a little earlier, hopefully getting to do some of that now. Um, but we're seeing that with kids. My, my son got invited to a, a party and it's uh, at a, an amusement park and it's a couple hours away. And some of the parents don't want to let their kids go, even though this child's parents, they're driving, they're going to be there, they're going to take the kids. But, you know, and these kids are 14 and some parents are like, they're just really wary about how much to, you know, let their kids start to individuate and how much, you know, to kind of let the, the kite string out and let their kids try to fly a little bit. And it's, it's scary for a lot of parents, I think, to be doing that right now. Yes, I've, I've definitely seen that as well. And I think, you know, as a result of the pandemic, we've also seen a big increase in social anxiety in children. And what we know about anxiety is if you avoid something that the anxiety increases. So for children that were already a little socially inhibited to start with, like a little bit more shy and had maybe had some more, you know, typical fears around social situations. Um, it has increased their social anxiety because they were able to avoid these situations that made them nervous and maybe could, you know, even continue to use COVID as an excuse, you know, long after they needed to and avoid these, these social situations that made them anxious. And then it increased their social anxiety and that, that lack of practice with facing these more challenging situations has increased anxiety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories, including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. 
Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. So what can we, and I think we kind of touched on this, but if there's anything else you want to add, um, anything else parents can do if they're concerned about their child's development? I just can't stress enough, to, you know, to seek help if you are concerned. You know, I know you have an international following, but in the United States, the early intervention services for children under three provide free evaluations and free services. And once children are in the school system, which actually in the United States starts at age three, then you would contact the school system with any concerns about development. You know, again, free evaluations, free services. It's never too early, never too late to seek help and make sure that if you are even a little bit concerned about your child's development, that you're getting the help that they need. Because I really think it's important that we not just assume that kids are going to naturally catch up, that we really take efforts to make sure we're giving them the tools that they need to catch up with where they would be if the pandemic hadn't happened. And, and it, children's brains are, you know, very, very resilient and, and it can happen, but we want to make sure that we give them the tools to achieve what we want them to achieve. Yeah, very true. I love that point that their brains are very neuroplastic. I mean, we all have neuroplasticity, but theirs are much more plastic than ours are. So they can catch up quicker than we might want to be able to give them credit for. Yes. So I would love for you to share with us some research-backed ways that we can enhance our child's development. Yes. I always tell parents to seek help from professionals, but I think a lot of parents are wondering, well, what can I do at home? And 
A lot of times you're waiting for an evaluation or for services, and that's a hard position to be in as a parent because you're like, well, what can I be doing in the meantime? Some things that can help across all ages is increasing the language that they're exposed to. So having lots of back and forth conversations with your child, and this can apply from you know infants to teenagers. So with infants, you're just responding to the sounds they make and kind of having, you know, they make a sound, you say something, and that's your back and forth conversation. And as children get older, you're making intentional efforts to have back and forth conversations with them. Building language skills is not going to involve, you know, formal lessons or flashcards. It's really, we really build our language skills in the context of a social interaction, you know, especially a meaningful social interaction. So making sure you're increasing the the face-to-face, I always have to say real life social interactions as opposed to social interactions on the screens, which, you know, at one point were all we had during COVID, but now we have the opportunity to have more real life conversations. Second, reading to your child, you know, I think we've all heard this a lot, but reading research really finds like so many benefits of reading, including improved language and academic skills. And as children get older, they may be reading to you, but, or you may be reading a book to them that's, you know, even if they can read, um, you know, I know with my seven-year-old, she reads to me at night, but then I read to her something that is a little bit more advanced that she couldn't read on her own. So making sure you do both as children learn how to read. It's important, you know, because I think we're all so busy making sure you have a routine in which you read to your child at least once a day. And it doesn't have to be right before bedtime. I think that's what a lot of people do. But if that doesn't work for you, you know, you have multiple kids that you're trying to put them all to bed or, you know, you work in the evenings, just know that it doesn't have to be at bedtime, but making sure that somewhere in your daily routine that you have time for reading. And when you're reading to your child, not just, you know, reading the words of a book, which is, is helpful in itself, but also like allowing time for comments and questions and this more interactive reading can really help to build their reading comprehension. So making sure that, you know, you're talking about the book and you're, you're relating it to what's going on in their lives that can really help children to make these connections. Finally, there cannot be enough emphasis on like the importance of play for young children And obviously this looks different from infants to teenagers, but making sure that they have unstructured time in their day where they can kind of unwind and play in whatever way is developmentally appropriate for them. With young children, it could be, you know, getting on the floor and playing with them and following their lead and making sure, you know, you you don't have to make everything an educational activity, you know, just, just playing with them, being on the floor and playing with them. Your children will learn so much. You don't have to be quizzing them or you know, saying, what color is this? What does this start with? You know, just being in the moment and playing. And, you know, research really finds that this unstructured playtime, especially when it's child-led, really builds cognitive, physical, social, emotional development. It really is such an important impact on children. Yes, I love that. That is so true. I've, I've read that too. I've seen that as well. That first of all, that play is just so important at and they learn so much. You don't realize how much they're learning, but they really are learning social emotional skills. They're learning how to control like their emotions. If something isn't quite working out, they're le- learning how to problem solve. They're, um, they're learning balance. They're learning like just so many things from this play that we may not 
on the surface look like they're really doing anything, but it's really incredible. And the child-led play, when they get to lead the play and the parent follows along with who are the characters and what, where should this go? And it just, it builds their self-esteem and it builds that parent-child connection, which makes the other parts of the day go so much better. So that's just a really important point. And it's, and it's great. And like you said, like another such an important point about not feeling like you need to quiz them for them to learn um, and just kind of step back and let them, you know, let their brain develop through the play itself is such a, a better way to let that happen. The reading too. I love, I've also heard that like reading to them, because sometimes parents feel silly reading to kids when they're like in middle school or high school, but it actually, you know, like you said, when you read a book that's developmentally, like a little bit ahead of where they're reading, it will build those skills. It builds their vocabulary and, and does so much for them. And it also is just a connection. It's time for connection too. So you get so much from that, even you know, I've heard if they'll let you read to them when they're 15 and 16, keep reading to them when they're 15 and 16. Yes. A lot of these strategies that enhance development also have the added bonus of improving the parent and child relationship. So it's like, you really can't lose with any of these. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You probably know the term for this. I can't remember what it is, but one of the things I learned about my older son is that when he reads or when I read to him, he doesn't picture what's happening in his mind. And there's a term for that for people who can't picture it. I don't remember what it is. Yes. I'm, I'm blanking on it as well. Um, but I know, I know exactly what you mean, but it, it shocked me. I had no idea. I thought everyone when they read or heard a story would put a picture in their mind of what was happening, what the characters look like, what the landscape looked like. And he's just like, no, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't, does he, he doesn't process that. That doesn't process for him. So I, and it's, you know, not totally related, but I thought it was interesting about how different some people are. I just, I always had this imagination that pictured everything and I assumed everyone else did too. Yes. Yes. Everybody's brains work a little bit differently. And, you know, I think asking your child about what are they experiencing when you read to them and, and understanding how you can help them to understand the story if they don't have those skills. And the other questions I like to ask sometimes are about the characters and like their feelings or what they might be experiencing. Like when kids get older, I'd love to be like, what do you think that, you know, if you were in this position, what would you be experiencing? What would you be feeling in this moment? What do you think this character is feeling? Some of those ways to bring up that social emotional development and help them enhance that a little bit. Yes. There's a great research study that found that when parents were trained to ask those kind of questions that the kids showed enhanced social emotional development. So, and you can start with this, like when children are really young, you know, like I'll be reading like a Daniel Tiger book to my two-year-old and I can say, how does Daniel feel? And it, like, he'll say sad. And, you know, as children get older, you know, you're asking more complex questions about like, well, why would have that, that character have done that? You know, asking what is the character's perspective? that can help build something called theory of mind, which is the idea that other people have different thoughts and we don't really know their thoughts. And, you know, trying to understand somebody else's perspective, which is such an important social skill to learn. And then, you know, trying to ask them, like you said, relating it back to how, how would you feel in this situation and understanding how different people might feel differently and what causes people to feel that way. I think those are, you know, such incredible and like relatively easy ways to build social emotional skills. 
Yeah, and really rich questions because we like to have conversations about how how we might perceive a character as being bad or evil. And yet in their own mind, they have a really legitimate reason for acting that way. So I love having those conversations with my kids now that they're older. It's really fun. Yes. Yeah, it is fun as they can like really engage in those conversations. So let's talk about screen time because we I've had quite a few guests coming on talking about screen time, but it's such an important thing because I know in our family and I know we're not alone. I know it's it's across the board. You know, I, I tried to be really diligent about screen time before the pandemic. And I really tried to follow, you know, the zero to three, somewhere between the zero to three guidelines and the AAP's guidelines for screen time, you know, my kids at certain ages. But when COVID came, it all went out the window because yeah. it was their only social interaction. They were schooling online. And so after COVID was over, it was really a struggle to kind of pull that back. And, you know, I've made a lot of progress. It's been great, but you know, kids are still like having a lot of social interactions online. And so talk to us about screen time and child development. Yeah. So this is like a very, you know, hot topic, controversial topic. And I think, you know, the experience universally with parents was there was an increase in screen time during the pandemic. And we were all kind of in survival mode and we have to give ourselves, you know, some compassion that that was okay. But now it's the time to, you know, rethink about what are, what do we want for our family in terms of screen time and to make an intentional plan around screen time. And, you know, it depends on your children's ages to a large extent. You know, we know from the research that children under three um, really can't learn from screens. So it's something called the video deficit. Research consistently finds that children just, especially young children, do not learn as well from screens as they do from real life interactions. And that doesn't mean you can never put on a screen, but just know, you know, thinking about your, you want to think about your day and when you're using screen time and what is it replacing? You know, is it replacing a high quality interaction with you as the parent? Or is it potentially, you know, replacing you're keeping your two-year-old safe while you are, you know, making some sort of hot dinner that could potentially be a dangerous situation for them? If you're doing this to keep your child safe, or if you're you know, even if you're doing it for your own mental health as a parent, just so you can take a shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if you're, you know, sometimes for me, I'm like, I'm getting to the point where I am just so overwhelmed that I'm worried I'm going to start not being the parent I want to be, you know, potentially yelling at my kids. It's okay to put on a screen, you know, because you have to think, okay, what's the trade off? If screen time is replacing me just yelling at my kids, like, screen time is probably the better choice. Um, if I'm in a situation, if I'm in the mind state where I can be calm and have a nice interaction with my kids, like maybe I shouldn't choose screen time in that moment. So just really th- being intentional about what is screen time replacing. There's a ton of scary headlines out there about screen time um, and the research on screen time, you know, saying screen time basically, you know, harms brain development in children. And the research is actually a lot more complicated than that. So, you know, we know that screen time is associated with differences in brain development, differences in things like behavioral problems and symptoms of ADHD, but we don't know that screen time actually causes those negative impacts. So if you think about the families that, for example, let their have 
their children have unlimited screen time versus the families that don't. There are a lot of other differences between those families. And, you know, for example, like the stress in a family, like parents who are extremely stressed out are probably just going to give up and let their children have a lot of screen time. And it could be the stress in the family that's causing those negative impacts, not the screen time itself. Um, So we really have no way from the research and kind of teasing out, okay, what is the impact of screen time versus these other factors associated with the families that watch a lot of screen time? We do know that children from research, that children learn better from real life social interactions. And we do know that screen time can take away from like very important things like sleep and family meals and physical activity. So you want to think about, you know, these very important things that a child has to do in a day, like get to bed on time. You know, family meals are very supported by research. We know that's important. We know that physical activity, especially like being outside and being in nature is very important for children. So really being intentional and thinking about what is the screen time replacing in my child's day? Very good. Very helpful. Thank you. So this was great. Some really great guidelines and help for parents who, you know, want to know more about their child's development and how they can support it if they're worried about it at all. So I think this is amazing. If you could tell us where to find you and any of your social media or anything else you want to tell us about. Yes. So I translate research from parents. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization. So all of the resources are free. And you can find these resources on my website, which is parentingtranslator.org. I also um, regularly post translations of research on social media. So on Instagram, I'm at Parenting Translator. I'm also on TikTok at Parenting Translator. And I have a Substack newsletter, which is parentingtranslator.substack.com. And all of those are free resources for parents to help them to understand all the research that's out there on parenting and child development and how they can use it to make, you know, the hardest job in the world a little bit easier. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. 